Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome. Thanks for hanging out with us. Today, we're chatting with someone at the top of their category in what I consider multiple categories. And I'm going to explain a little bit more about that. We will explain more about that. A, a serious elite entrepreneur. We're going to talk about unlocking your potential with Jeff Lerner. Now, at first, it sounds like, you know, you, it's, a, it's a title or name you may hear a lot. So another way to say it to call this episode is escaping the broken system. Now, if you're like me, you probably tried a few things and failed and you learned some things about it and you probably tried again and failed again. I know I did that a lot. Sound familiar? And on that note, are you in any high debt? How about a half a million dollars in debt? Now I'm not in it. I'm just asking you as a question. Are you in high debt? Well, we have something unique for you on how to really seriously unlock your potential. So please pay attention. And while we're at it, this is all about helping you and your friends turn your vision into reality. We want to help you get very successful at growing your business to a high sustainable level, whether it's six or seven or eight digits or more. We want to get you up there and get you out of debt too. Well, meet Jeff Lerner from a broke jazz musician and a half million dollars in debt. And I'm still trying to get my brain around that. He went to $50 million in online sales. And actually he went to a whole lot more. He'll tell you about that in a moment. And he spent over a decade on building multiple online businesses to over eight figures and twice landed on the Inc. 5,000. Now, how many of you would like that? He did it multiple times. Probably some of you would say, I just want to do it once or maybe seven digits is fine with me. Well, I tell you what, let's get into it. Let's talk to Jeff and find out more about it. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Thank you, Tony. So glad to be here. Jeff, we're all looking forward to unlocking our potential and fixing the system and escaping from it, actually, not even fixing it. I, I want to run from it. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I know I mentioned you were in a musician, jazz musician. Can you take us back to the beginning and how did everything start for you? I would love to. Thank you. And, and thanks for the opportunity to be here. And thanks to the audience um, for your time and attention. It's, it's never lost on me that people could do a lot of other things with their time and they choose to be here with us. So I'm always grateful. Um, yeah, I, I had a very early sense, and you use that term, escaping the broken system. I had a very early sense that the world was a little, you know, and I don't want to sound too like, you know, grandiose, but I mean, the world was a little off, right? And even as a kid, I could feel it. Um, I got bullied a lot as a kid. I, I had some issues I struggled with growing up. And <clears throat> I remember thinking about school. And I think one of the reasons that I had a unique experience of school is I went to a school that started at kindergarten and it went all the way through 12th grade. So I think a lot of people when they're in school, they're like in, they're in elementary school and then they're like, oh, well, I just got to hang on for a few years and then I'm going to go to this other middle school and then I got to hang on for a few years. Then I'm going to go to this other high school. So they always had like this 
new experience that they were within a few years of. But for me, I was going to be going to the same campus, the same buildings for 13 years. And that, I'm, you know, I'm guessing, who knows why things happen. But for me, I just always had this sense of like, like, I feel like I'm stuck. I'm not even a grown up and I'm already stuck. And I'm in this like long job training program that's 13 years long, that's going to graduate me into the collegiate level job training program, that's going to graduate me into the 40 year job doing program, that's going to graduate me into the job retirement program. And it's just like, I just, I don't know why it just sounded terrible. <laughs> and so, and I think a lot of it was getting bullied a lot. It was like, oh, wait, my entire life, I'm going to have to be around these people. The same kids that are bullying me, they're going to go to the same colleges and go work at the same companies. And I'm, I'm going to be 50 years old going to the same, going to an office with these same people. Like I just, for whatever reason, I was just like, I do not want to participate. And so I had a lot of trouble in school. I got in trouble a lot. I had, I was, I had discipline challenges. I was pretty, pretty decent academically. Um, Cause I always like to learn. Like I actually really genuinely enjoy learning stuff. Um, but long story short, it came to a head at 16. I'd had enough. It was my junior year. I had some, some challenges in school and I just said, I'm out. I don't want to participate in this system anymore. Um, and, and even at the time, I don't remember the exact conversation with my parents, but I, I, I thought of it as a system. I thought of it as this integrated complex thing that, that unfurled through college and jobs and, and the banking system and the finance. It's just like at an early age, I, I had like, I was kind of like an early conspiracy kid or something, right? It's like, it's all, it's all connected, right? And uh, so at 16, I was just like, what can I do that could get me out in the world where I can survive? I have some skill that I can use to make a living, but it gives me as much freedom as possible. So I became a musician. Uh -huh. I thought I can go to any city in the world and at least survive as a musician. I can trade my skills for food or shelter or at least ideally some money. And uh, it was a very, that was it. It was a very calculated decision. It was like, I'm going to go focus on learning a skill that will give me the life I want or, or the best shot at the life I want, which is going to be defined by freedom, not by money, not by status, not by reputation, not by climbing a career ladder, because all of those things seemed like giving in or acquiescing to the system that was populated with people that had already, I'd had a really negative experience of as a bullied kid. And why on this earth would I want to go along with it the rest of my life? Right. So that's when I became a musician and I spent, uh, I dropped out of high school and I was, I dropped out my junior year. Everybody said I was nuts. They said I'd end up working at McDonald's or whatever. And uh, I worked really hard. And, and part of it is like, I was a pianist and you don't, you don't start playing piano when you're 16. You start playing piano when you're like six, if you want to, if you want to be a professional, right? So I had musicians telling me, kid, you're too late. Like you're, you're not going to be a professional caliber musician starting this late. But I, uh, I just, I don't know. I, I thrive when people tell me I can't do things, I guess I've always been kind of rebellious. And so I, I practiced 10, 12, 14 hours a day for years. And by the time I was 19 or 20, I was able to start working pretty consistently and pay my bills as a musician. Um, and I did that for 10 years, uh, all through my twenties struggled went, you know, was, I, I, I guess you, I didn't go broke. I just was broke. Um, started, but I started lots of different businesses. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to fast forward and give you the really condensed version, but basically as a musician, I got in with this one booking agency 
that allowed that booked me gigs in the homes of a lot of the most successful business people in Houston, Texas, where I was from. So at 23, 24 years old, I was playing piano in the home of guys like Tillman Fertitta, who owns the Houston Rockets now. Uh, Jim and Francie Crane, before they were divorced, uh, Jim Crane owns the Houston Astros now. Um, who owns the, uh, the Bob McNair, who, who founded the Houston Texans, the NFL. I played at all these guys' houses. These are all billionaires, right? And I just was like, oh my gosh, they have what I have, which is freedom. And they get to do what they love, only they also have what I don't have, which is a lot of money. And so I sort of came up with this idea that like being an entrepreneur had a lot of the same perks of being a musician. You get to create and, and build stuff for a living, but you also get all the trappings of success and, and you know, the, the more superficial stuff too. Um, that, that, that frankly, life gets really hard without, like it wasn't, I wasn't like greedy, like, oh, I want a big mansion. It was more like, man, it really sucks not being able to pay my rent and it really sucks having my cell phone get disconnected for two weeks while I try to save up the money to get it turned back on. Like that, that's, that's a really crappy way to live. So if I can have the best of both worlds, that's what I want. And then that's when I went hard as an entrepreneur and I failed repeatedly at, at various businesses until eventually, finally one time I didn't. And now I've had, I've had four wins in a row. Basically, you know, I've stacked four consecutive entrepreneurial wins and my life looks very different now. Absolutely amazing story, Jeff. And there's so many things I can comment on. The one thing I'm looking here, into here now is you've been through these failures. You've got all these wins. At some point, you realize, hey, I can, I can uh, do this how-to business. I can go into this road. This could be a career. Leaving something that you love. I mean, obviously, if you're very, you were very good at being a musician. You had to have loved it. You just didn't do it. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play this piano because I'm gonna make money. I, I believe you really, really enjoyed it, and you left what you really, really enjoyed to go into the how-to business. What was that vision that you that made you just go into go in? or go down that road, better, better way to put it. Yeah, there, there's a few things. Um, I did love music, uh, but, but what I realized later in hindsight, do you ever have, have you ever had, ever had a relationship in your life where you're like, I loved them because of where I was at that time, but they weren't the one, you know, like your high school sweetheart, right? I, we were young, we were in love. We didn't really know how the world worked, but at that time, it was the truest love I, I was capable of, right? But, but, you know, then later you meet other people, right? That's how music was for me. Music was there for me at a time when I had a lot of, a lot of damage and a lot of hurt and a lot of mistrust because of the way I grew up and the bullying and, and a lot of um, just, you know, negative experiences with people. And, and by nature, I think I am something of an introvert. And music, what music did was it gave me a way to connect with people and to be accepted by people and to bring joy to people without having to take what I felt like was the risk of really deep, personal, connected relationships. Music is a different language, and it's a way to feel and be felt and exchange meaning and energy with somebody, but it doesn't have all the same risks of necessarily having a conversation for me emotionally and psychologically. And that's why music was so amazing. It gave me a way... To, be, to give love to people and to receive love from people without having to take the risk of, of direct, that type of direct connection with people because I'd been so hurt, I just wasn't ready for that. 
and and so that's when I look back on it, that's really the role that music served in my life. And I still love it. And I still love to create music, but I'm not one of those people who's like tortured without it because I have actually learned to have other types of connections with people. And I no longer need music as the language of connection anymore. Um, but, but again, that's, that's with the benefit of hindsight that I explain it that way at the time, what happened was, uh, I was married and my, now ex-wife basically demanded that I finish college. Uh, and, and, and there was sort of this and her dad, and it was a whole pressure of finish. You got and, and it was like, I was feeling this pressure to go into a more, into a more traditional path because being married and ultimately potentially wanting to have kids, I could forecast my life as a, as a working pianist at, at let's say at 25 years old, and I, I, I could see 55-year-old and 65-year-old working pianists in Houston, Texas, and I could see my future. And the bottom line is I had, I had pretty much peaked at, you know, 50, 60 grand a year, playing some good society gigs. Where, you know, I was playing three to 400 gigs a year to make 50 to 60. I probably could have gotten up to maybe 100 grand, but I, I was able to look 30 or 40 years out based on who my contemporaries were, the guys that I would swap gigs with. And say, there's really no arc here. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good enough to go be a virtuoso concert pianist who's going to travel the world. And there's no industry in Houston, Texas that's going to discover me and turn me into the next Elton John or whatever. So it's like I did sort of see that, all right, maybe college, maybe business. I, I was inspired by entrepreneurship, but I, I just knew I didn't want it to be on the traditional path. So I had like this pressure to finish school. Um, but that was because they wanted me to go the traditional path. And so I kind of called their bluff and I said, okay, you know what? I'll finish school, but I'm along the way, I'm going to start a business that makes it so that I don't ever actually have to go from school into a job. And that's what got me going down the path of entrepreneurship. And then ultimately I ended up getting arthritis in my wrist anyway. And by my late twenties, th this was, uh, the one thing that I discovered was true about all the people that told me I was too late and that I wasn't going to be able to, to get good enough fast enough is that the amount of practicing that I ended up having to do in my late teens and early twenties in order to reach the level that I wanted to be at, because I was basically trying to cram 15 years of work into five years. I actually gave myself arthritis. And by the end of my twenties, I wasn't able to play at the pace uh, of a professional anyways. And so it, it kind of worked out that I mean, it was, it was messy, but basically around that time is when I started to get traction as an entrepreneur. And thankfully I was able to leave music behind. We're talking about unlocking your potential with Jeff Lerner, and you can find him at jefflearnerbook.com. That's three words, Jeff, J-E-F-F, Lerner, L-E-R-N-E-R, book, B-O-O-K. We all know those words. Sometimes we like to hear them. So there you go, jefflearnerbook.com. Check it out. He's going to... He's got a lot of information there, and I'm going to cover some of that right here. And probably the first thing I like to do is take one little step backwards and kind of go into a little bit more on the system. We said that an alternative title to this episode is Escaping the Broken System. Well, some of us love the system. I went to college. I went to university. I got my degree, though I am not... Uh, I, I am not making or earning an income in what I have a degree on. It's still, I believe it helped me, but there's some people that it did, it didn't. So enough said, 
why is it broken and what's the whole system? Let's kind of go into that first. Sure. I, I love this subject. I'm so glad you asked. And yeah, actually, it's interesting you're, you're using that as an alternative title for the episode. That was actually um, the working title for the book for, for most of the time I was writing it was Escaping the Broken System. And it was kind of a probably around seventh, eighth inning of the process of creating the book when the publisher said, hey, you know, that's kind of a downer title. Like, Typically, books do a lot better when they have more optimistic, positive titles. And so we, we ended up with Unlock Your Potential um, because that's the other side of the same coin. You know, for me, the way I see the world, and this is all just, you know, my perspective. And if, if you are, find it interesting, you might, you might like my book. But I'm, by no means do I insist that everyone in the world agrees with me. But the way I look at the world, I see, same as I did when I was a kid, I see a pretty clear broken system. And, and when I say that it's broken, you know, one of my favorite quotes is Ayn Rand, and I know she's political and controversial, or, or people have politicized her and made her controversial. Um, but but one of her favorite, one of my favorite quotes is something she said. She said, uh, "The civilization is the process of setting man free from men." Civilization is the process of setting man free from men. And, you know, for most of our history, evolutionarily, anthropologically, culturally, and whatnot, we were a, we were a species that was, you know, that was tribal, that was communal, that was connected, that was literally couldn't live without each other. And in many ways, that's wonderful. And in many ways, that's still very true. But there was a, there was a, there's a residue that we carry deep in our brains that we are scared to stand out. We are scared to be different. We are scared to be unique. Uh, we think the tallest nail gets the hammer and we think that there's, there's only one way to do everything. Right. And the world serves us up a big heaping pile of one way to live. And that is school, debt, college, more debt, job, more debt, pay into a system, retire, retirement financed by debt, other people's debt that are paying into the system that came after us. And like, it's this loop. And we, you know, we're seeing a lot of it's playing out right now in the world. We're seeing the, the to some degree, the collapse of, of some of the house of cards aspects of what we've built in this system. And, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I like to geek out on the history and I like to go back to the Rothschilds and Otto von Bismarck and the, the Prussian banking system and the Prussian education system and how it is that in the 20th century, we sort of imported the both Germanic education and Germanic banking. And we built this model and now we're all, yeah, it's like, I'm interested in that, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. And I don't think it's really necessary to know the history and the particulars. I actually think that everybody feels it. I think that everybody feels it to some degree on their commute to work you know, sometimes it's when they're walking to class. Sometimes it's when they're paying off their student debt. You know, 21 years later, after we graduate from college, when the average person that borrowed money for college is still paying off their student loans. I think it takes 22 years to, to pay that off on average. Like, we feel it. And we know and we can see the way the world's going. And, and by the way, it's, it was less true when I was in college. And it was probably less true still even when you were in college. But we can see now the way the, the world is going with the, you know, in, in, in the Affordable Care Act in 2013, 
you know, which was supposed to be about healthcare reform, one of the one of the fine print was that all student debt was transferred to the government as the servicer. One third of all government assets now in the United States are student loans. You know, the government is literally in this in the the higher education business now. And everything we look at, and, and in the book, I really unpack this. I look at a lot of the quota systems and the the processes and the and the strictures and the standards in the public education system, and what we tell our kids, what we force our kids to do, how we grade our kids, how we measure our kids, how we measure our teachers, how we measure our school district performance. You know, there's a machine here, and 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 like you pointed out, for some people it works out great, and I'm not opposed to it working out great for the people that it's a good fit for. But we also know that half the kids in school don't learn in a way that's that's consistent with and conducive to the way schools teach, and they're marginalized and they feel dumb and they're and they're disenfranchised and their so, their self esteem suffers. And there's this whole other world of these entrepreneurial paths and these alternative, uh, more more like based around securing your life through the acquisition of skills rather than securing your life through the acquisition of jobs. Um, there's a whole other approach that you can take that, you know, having taken it now, that's, it's actually got freedom on the other side. You know, I don't have to commute. I don't have to report in. I don't have to uh, limit myself, my budget to what, I, you know, what my paycheck was determined to be by someone else. I, I just have a lot more control. And ultimately, when I talk about civilization is the process of, of setting man free from men, I actually believe very much in, in individuation and self-determination. And I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. I'm a faith-based person. And I believe that we were created to differentiate and self-express and manifest that which makes us unique and distinct and special and unlike any other person on this earth. And the general notion of a construct or a system or a paradigm where we are rewarded for our sameness or our likeness rather than celebrated for our differences I think has a fundamental immorality to it. And I'm hell bent on breaking the damn thing so that I can set some people free. That's what I'm all about. That's quite a mouthful. And that is just like really well stated, really well put. It's, it's really time to break out of the system. And I, and, and I really like where you've gone, what you've done. I've looked through some of your book. I've looked through some of your material. I want to talk about your system. And I may not have the order just right the way you like to introduce it. But one of the first things that caught my attention is learning how to accumulate assets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I, man, thank you. I'm going to dive deep into that. I, I actually want to close the loop on your previous question real quick. There's, there's kind of one really key thing that I left unsaid um, that'll, that'll, not, that'll actually perfectly tee up the asset conversation. So if people ask me for a definition of the broken system, I say that it is the convergence of three systems or, or the three bigs, I call them big education, big employment, and big retirement. And these are three interconnected constructs. If you think of a Venn diagram, there's a place where they all overlap, right? Which is where most of us live, where we go through big education. It matriculates us into big employment. And, and each of them have their own assumptions. They have their own fallacies. They have their own sort of uh, duplicity. Um, and in education, it's all about, I think it's about the cost and it's about the reward. In employment, I think the falseness is around the presumption of security, the presumption of predictability. You know, the average person actually ends up 
uh, changing jobs every 20 months in the workforce. You're not, you're not going to get a job and work it for 20, 30, or 40 years. And, and to the extent that you do or don't anyway, the biggest reason that people are making that trade is for the presumption of the security that's coming down the road with big retirements. But we're seeing in the numbers already that re the retirement system, you know, historically retirement has been a three-legged system, right? Which is uh, private savings, government benefits, and uh, investments, right? But essentially retirement has been predicated on this, this sense of security that is buttressed by either the growth of our investments and or the certainty of the government's ability to make certain guarantees to us. And we're, we're basically seeing both of those unwind right now. And so the, the emperor's lack of clothes is becoming apparent, frankly, faster than anyone predicted it would. And that's because of the pandemic. Um, but, but it's always been there. Like all the pandemic did was accelerate the reveal, right? It didn't actually change fundamentally change anything. It just kind of sped some stuff up. Um, but you know, Mo the, the reason I'm on such a crusade about this is because people are like, people are in real pain right now. They're hurting, they're scared, and they're rightfully scared. They've put 10, 20, 30, 40 years into a system, and they're only now finding out as we see inflation, as we see you know real estate prices, as we see people having to take out reverse mortgages, people having to move back in with their kids, people having to sell their cars, they can't even get a new car because of supply chain issues. Like We're seeing people really suffer, and that's why... Uh, I'm I'm so vociferous about this. I refuse to shut up about it as much as maybe some people wish that I would. Um, but anyway, to, to to segue into your question about assets, you know, it's about personal responsibility. You've got to invest in the right things, and you know, the American economy is a consumer economy. The American powers that be consider the the healthiest thing that we can do for the macro, for the collective, is to keep spending our money, keep consuming, keep buying stuff that doesn't benefit us. It's actually, there's a line of thinking at the, at the, at the highest levels that it would be bad for the economy if we would stop consuming so much and start investing in assets. So you're never going to get this as like the conventional narrative, not in America, not in this country. Other countries have different, different cultures, but not here. We have to take individual responsibility to start investing in all the available assets that can pay us the best return. And by the way, first, the, the number one asset, that because people think, oh, well, Jeff, I don't have enough money to invest in assets that can generate a return. Yeah, you do. If you have a few hundred dollars, you may not have enough money to buy real estate. You may not have enough money to go buy a share of Tesla, but you have enough money to invest in yourself. You can build skills that increase the value of your time. You can build skills that increase opportunities for you to start to create more income in less time or more income through alternative channels that give you more freedom. And whether it's by, uh, you know, achieving more freedom or achieving more time or, or a combination of the two, usually by increasing the value of your skills and what you have to offer the world, you create bandwidth, you create space, you create excess capacity, and you create surplus that you can use to start planting seeds that can grow into real assets, real financial assets that can give you a real quality of life and a real retirement, not one that you're gonna find out too late was based on a system that's insolvent and was never really built to last. Very good points. And as you're saying this, I'm thinking here I am an entrepreneur, I'm a businessman. Things have been changing so much so fast. I don't even know where to begin on that. Supply is different. The, the, 
the availability of things is different and we but we're still in business because we are entrepreneurs we we know how to dance to the tune when something happens uh, it takes more than uh, a tsunami to to make us quit or whatever we we keep in there and so we're jumping we're dancing we're moving around trying to make things happen and a couple hundred dollars yeah we we can all squeeze a couple hundred dollars but where would we where would we put it take a class take a course where can we get some good you know some the best bang for the buck that would actually help us grow our system aside from of course hey i've got a couple hundred thousand laying around i'm gonna go buy some real estate right well you know every everybody's different and i think that and, and actually in my book i have a at the very end of the book, I think it's actually in the last chapter, I break down something called the modern world value formula, which is essentially a mathematical equation. It's an algebraic equation that tries to explain why people get paid what they get paid. And it has to do with what industry you're in. It has to do with what skills you have. It has to do with uh, your level of character, your sort of personal intangibles. And then it all kind of gets multiplied times uh, the amount of risk that you're willing to take, right? And those really are the four variables in how much you get paid, right? It's your level of skill. And there's a way of quantifying the value of a skill, right? How competitive is it? How much good does it do for the people that need it? And how many other people out there are actually able to do it, right? Um, so you can quantify the value of a skill. You can quantify the opportunity within an industry, right? Certain skills are more valuable. Like, let's say you're good at accounting. That's going to be a lot more valuable working with a financial services company probably than, say, working with a florist. You know, different industries actually apply different values to different skills. So skills have an intrinsic value, and then they have an industry-specific value. And then you have the character traits, your personal character traits are a huge part of your value and a huge part of what you get paid. And then you, again, you multiply all that times the level of risk that you're willing to take. People that have jobs take the least risk, they get paid the least. People that are self-employed or freelancers, they take more risk, they can get paid more. But then people that really put their necks on the line and actually start a business and employ other people and and kind of go all the way with business ownership, they're taking the most risk. So they have the most opportunity and the most upside, right? It's all a math equation, right? And there's some subjectivity and there's some nuance like geography and where you live and who you know and some of that. But, but you can really, you can pretty well quantify why you get paid what you get paid. So the answer to your question is, how are you going to put those few hundred dollars into whatever, you know, is going to move the needle the most within that set of four variables, right? Are you going to, are you going to use it to transition to a different industry? Are you going to use it to invest in the acquisition of a new soft or hard skill? Are you, and, and, and my suggestion is that the, the most valuable variables in that equation are actually your character and the level of risk that you have the ability to tolerate. Those are actually the two things. And certainly not all skills are created equal. I mean, again, it's case specific, but if somebody comes to me and they're like, you know, I don't, uh, I, I have my only skill is that I can dig trenches and I'm like, okay, well, let's teach you to code, you know, software. There's going to be a pretty big shift from that. Right. But even then it's probably going to need to be some investment on the character side. And when I say character, I mean, all of the, the psychology and the, the emotion and the identity and the belief set and all, and the mindset and, and really the stuff that, that takes the person who did, who digs ditches and gets them to believe that they can be a person who can code software. 
Because because the, the most of the gap between those two things isn't the skill. It's the belief. It's the identity. It's the sense of self, right? So, you know, if if I were going to say, I, there's not going to be a one size fits all answer. But if I was going to if I was going to say, what's the answer that's going to fit the most people? It's probably either therapy and or personal development, which are really kind of the same thing. That's actually probably what most people should be investing in is fixing up here. I totally, totally agree. And there's just no, there's just no doubt about it. The more I learn, the more I understand my, my business and the periphery of it, the better I can do my business and the better I can find and uh, make opportunities successful. So there's absolutely no doubt about it. The more I invest in myself, sometimes it's how I invest in myself. And part of this kind of, and it just, I'm going to open up into something. We're going to do like, you know, a four-part series for the year on this. But it's part of your book, or should I say to me, a preponderance of your book is all about performing at a higher level and yeah. and using that to generate wealth. So it's a big, broad area, but I like to kind of go into that section now. And, and this may be the segue from investing in ourselves to performing at a higher level. Yeah. So it's funny. Um, actually, just yesterday, my, my wife, Jacqueline, my, my far better half, she was talking to her grandmother, who's in her mid to late 80s. I think she's like 86 now or something. And uh, she's reading my book. She got an advanced copy and she's reading it. And she's a real, real sharp lady. And she said, I just got to the point where he apologizes for taking so long to warm up. And, uh, and, and it's, like, it's, it's like page 180 or something. You get to page 180 in the book, and I'm like, okay, the warm-up is over. Now let's get into how to do it. Like, let's get into the tactics, right? And I'm like, so you're probably thinking, man, that was a really big dose of warm-up. But the reality is I had to shake your foundations that much. You know, 180, it's an entire book just to get to the book about how to actually go out into the world and build wealth and become, and become super, you know, visibly successful, what, what most people think of as success, right? Um, it took almost 200 pages to talk about how to re-engineer and optimize the daily, hourly, and even minute by minute and second by second living of your life. To become the person who operates at the level and, 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 and consistently demonstrates the capability of being at this level and doing these things they can get most people where they say they want to go in life. The reality, the, the great tragedy of the broken system is that it tells you to dream big dreams and then it underwhelms you with what it actually takes to achieve them. You know, I mean, most kindergartners are taught to dream, right? I mean, depending on the school district and the quality of the teacher, like they do tell you that you can be an astronaut and you can be an athlete and you can be a firefighter and you can be a stockbroker and you can, you know, you can be a trial attorney, like whatever dream a kid has, they tell you, you can do it and that you can be great at it, but they completely water down. And I think mis misrepresent what it actually takes to be great at anything, even just to, to be great at living, just to be a great dad or a great husband or a great mom or, or a great, a great daughter or a great son. Like it's really freaking hard to be great. And it's really crappy to not be great. That's the thing nobody wants to say. It's hard to be great and it sucks to not be great because typically only the, the, the great, and I don't, you know, that's a, that's a charged term. People want to bristle at it and say I'm being elitist or unfair. The reality is if you're not great, your life isn't that great. 
And it's really hard to be great. So we need to be teaching people how to be the person and accept the reality and the responsibility of doing really hard things all the time. And considering that we live in a society and in a world that is addicted to comfort and that drugifies everything to give you the illusion that you can get a, that you can get the benefit without having to give the effort. You know, we're going, we're zigging when we need to be zagging. We're, we're, we're dumbing down and numbing down when we need to be intensifying and leaning in and priming people to go have really visceral, almost like suffering experiences of existence. By the way, the root word of passion, patio, pasio in Latin is the word to suffer. You have to go do it and it's going to be hard and it's going to hurt and it's going to suck. And that's why you earn the right to have a great life. And we should be teaching that to kids, not telling them how fun and easy it's going to be. Okay. And I totally get it where you're coming from. And I've been through the school of hard knocks quite a bit. I think I have two PhDs. But it should that. just be called the, it should just be called school. There shouldn't be a different school of hard knocks. That's just school. I, like I mean, that. anyway, I'm just, I'm making a point. You get what I'm no, saying. You've, you've made a fantastic point. Very poignant, very deep, very profound. So here comes the question. Where do we start? How do we start? What do we do? We start with each of us. That's, that's why this book, I am not like, look, I'm someday, maybe God willing, they'll have me come give testimony in front of the, you know, Congress about educational reform, or somebody will solicit me for my opinion about how to architect a different type of, of federal school system. I actually think we should probably defederalize the school system. But at the end of the day, it's about every single one of us. And it, and it has to start with adults. Like I'm all about, and, and we have programs in my company, Entra, and I'm a big advocate. I'm taking five kids in two weeks. I say kids, they're between 18 and 22. I'm taking them to some of my company, Entra's uh, personal development programs that prime them for entrepreneurial living. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm paying for it. It's, it's a service. It's an act of service because I, believe, I do believe we need to start with the youth. But I think that it is negligent and irresponsible to say, oh, well, we're just going to fix the youth. We, you, me, everyone listening, we have to start with ourselves. We have to go internal and say, I'm not going to be addicted to dopamine anymore. I'm not going to be addicted to comfort anymore. I'm not going to want things to be easy. I already learned that, that nothing worthwhile is easy. Thus, logically, nothing easy is worthwhile. So maybe I should stop actually wanting things to be easy. Maybe I should stop trying to find the, the slippery way through life. I'm going to lean in and I'm going to embrace the fundamental reality of being a human, which is that in order to, you know, to, to, to release whatever it is that I was gifted with and I'm supposed to bring forth in this world, I have to go through the crucible of self-development. That's where we start. We each start with ourselves. I like that very much. And in looking through your book, there are there's a mention here on the three P's, and I'm thinking this might be a good time to go into that. Uh, while we have a few minutes and kind of bring that into the mix now and further educate and enlighten our entrepreneur audience here. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, the three P's. If I've done anything in this world at a, at a professional level that's, that's given me an impact or, or the ability to positively influence some lives, it's been the development of this very simple concept of the three P's. And it simply states... Phys that we organize our life into physical, personal, and professional departments. Just like my company is organized into a revenue, a fulfillment, and a business services department, 
My life is organized in a physical, personal, and a professional department. And there's a, there's a great, um, it's not great. It's terrible, actually. There's a terrible lie that exists in, in conventional wisdom that if we can have one thing, then we can have the next thing. If I just had enough money, then I would have the peace and the stability to really become a kinder, more loving person. It's the stress that makes me angry. It's the stress that makes me mean. If I had more money, I wouldn't have the stress. Then I'd be kinder. Then I'd be better to my family. Then I'd be, you know, and, and then if I had that, or maybe if I had the money, then I'd have, I wouldn't have to work so hard. I could hire a trainer. I could afford healthier food, like, and I'd be in better shape. And then if I was in better shape, I'd feel better about myself. And then I'd be kinder to my family. Like we put things sequentially. The reality is that's like, that, that's, I mean, nobody would run a business that way. They, they wouldn't say like, okay, once we have a million dollars in sales, then we're going to create a product. Well, you have to create a product or you don't have any sales, but you have to have sales or you can't invest in product. Like in business, things have to happen simultaneously. Life is the same way. You can't, you can't artif you know, artificially say, I'm going to put money first, or I'm going to put personal relationships first, or I'm going to put my health first. You actually have to do it all. And the three P's is a way of organizing your life, organizing your energy and organizing your time so that you make sure that on a daily basis, you're checking all three of those boxes. That's it at the simplest level. I mean, I go deep into how and, and we have frameworks and, and you know, detailed processes for how to do that. Well, you know, I can get as geeky as people want, but at the highest level, do something good for yourself physically, personally, and professionally every single day. That's a very good mantra for growing our business, expanding our business, and just doing that. It's just so simple, those three Ps. I really, really like that. And I'm just kind of looking through your book and looking. There's just so much information here that I hope everyone gets this and checks it out. And one of the things in this book, and we, we may have touched upon it just a little bit lightly, but you develop better relationships as a result of unlocking your potential and escaping that system and and getting away from perhaps man I, I don't mean to say this wrong but getting away from what we're in we feel we're entitled to get because there's a lot of that like hey i went to school i'm entitled to this i know sadly a phd who felt he, he was so smart that he was entitled to just take money from the government to research and never produce anything. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we kind of get set in that ways. And I, and I understand that and has no bearing uh, or no, no slight on the person's intelligence. It's just sometimes we're indoctrinated into these. And one of the things in breaking out is, is relationships We're those are important to us and your methodology, your system that you teach helps us bring about a stronger, better relationship. And maybe some people don't see it right away, but it, it's so important to our work. I'd love to have you kind of give us a little bit more information and talk about that. Yeah, I would love to. And I'm so glad uh, you, you asked this because I, I know you have a show. A lot of entrepreneurs listen. My show is the same. I have a podcast. A lot of entrepreneurs listen. And I'm constantly trying to reinforce this thing that I believe so deeply, which is that all professional development is an extension of personal development. In, in fact, I, I know uh, people who literally do, well, I, I don't need to go into great detail because we don't have the time, but I mean, there's an entire body of professional consulting 
that's based around healing the trauma and the neurosis and the limiting beliefs of the of the leadership of the business, right? And it's the it's the it's the personal growth of the leadership that unlocks the professional potential of the endeavor, right? And, and so, um, this is one of the reasons why you can't choose to put one before the other. But in in the personal category of life, in that department, we have again we have a, a whole framework for how we approach this. But at its core, the governing principle, we have a governing principle for each department and the governing principle for the professional department, I'm sorry, the personal department of life is what we call collaborative communication or thoughtful communication. It is about how you communicate and it is about how it feels to the other person when you communicate. And I have never met a person who could not solve virtually any problem, and, and you can take this to some pretty crazy extremes, but who could not solve virtually any problem by getting better at their communication. Got money problems, we can tie it to communication. Got relationship problems, obviously we can tie it to communication. Even most health problems can be tied to personal, like inter interpersonal and or intrapersonal communication. And uh, that's at the core of how we approach personal development is it's, is it's learning more effective way. And there's very tactical, practical, mechanical things that you can learn to do different that change the way communication feels that create a ripple effect throughout your whole life. So true, so true, so true. And there's so much more we can say about that. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time and your attention. You're so passionate about what you teach and you're right. so successful about I, it. I get a little worked really up is what you're trying to say. Oh, I like it. No, it's <laughs> fine. It's totally good. Once again, we talked about unlocking your potential with Jeff Lerner and you can find him at jefflernerbook.com. Jeff, thank you so much for sharing with us today. It was just so good so much. I just, that's not good grammar, but it's okay. It was so good so much. I said it twice. <laughs> I just want everyone to, to really take advantage of this because this is really serious. All joking aside, this is important for ourselves, our future, and our children. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Tony. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. We discussed unlocking your potential with Jeff Lerner. This was stimulating and full of emotion. He walks the walk, he talks the talk, he knows his stuff. We talked about a number of points that help us escape the broken system. We talked about how to accumulate assets. Just a couple hundred bucks can make us a lot better. I like that. We talked about performing at a higher level, generating wealth, having stronger relationships, the power, the importance of communication. We should have talked a lot more about that. There is so much more that to say about it. We should definitely do a series. We talked about the three P's and a couple of other points. You tell me what resonated the most with you. I want to thank you so much. And please remember supporting the show with a nice review on Apple Podcasts. If you have Apple, any Apple device, Apple Podcasts is free. I would appreciate a review on my show. And of course, this is the most important thing I ask share this with a few friends because it's friends helping friends that get us all through whatever whatever goes on, right? Okay, use this and let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks for remember, 
Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel.